to Psalm 126 and verse 6. Psalm 126 and verse 6 in the King James is where we're taking our text from. Amen. When you're there, say hallelujah. Okay. All right, now look up behind me here. And if you're there, say hallelujah. Same four. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. Please touch your neighbor and say, look, if he can stay awake, so can you. Amen. I don't know if it's the weather or what it is, but y'all the deadest crowd I've ever seen in my life this morning. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you what, I think we'll just uh, move this down to Ricketson's, let Alvin deal with us. Say, look at your neighbor and say, I'm still here. I'm, it's, it's, I'm breathing. It's ticking today. Amen. Praise the Lord. All righty. Psalm 126 and 6. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaths with him. I want to preach to you today on the subject, bearing precious seed. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we need you right now. We need you in this moment. We need the Holy Ghost of God, Lord. We believe that your word will not return unto you void. It will go forth and do uh, its work. And we're asking you to touch and, uh, Lord, let the word be implanted in our hearts and let it bring forth much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word. Amen. His name was John Chapman. And John had a plan, and not only did he have a plan, but he dedicated not only the time, but dedicated his life to that plan. The laws in his day allowed for the establishment of nurseries or orchards that if a person could go to a parcel of land and plant 50 trees, they could claim ownership of that land. So John Chapman had a uh, plan. In fact, he traveled over 100 square miles through uh, the, the uh, northeast uh, and, uh, and north central United States, all through Pennsylvania and Ohio and Illinois, and uh, covering 100,000 square miles. And he would go into a little town and he would plant uh, some uh, apple orchard trees. In fact, by the age of 70, he actually owned more than 12,000 acres of land that were scattered throughout. Often he would get the nursery of those apple trees started and then he would hand uh, the uh, operation of it once they started growing over to somebody else. Uh, he was adamant about that he didn't want to plant uh, apple trees that were grafted from another apple tree. He actually wanted to plant uh, using seed. He thought that did less damage to the uh, apple trees. In fact, his apple trees really changed the apples of America. The reason that we've got so many varieties of apples in the United States like, you know, Red Delicious, Golden Delicious, Granny Smith is actually because when he would plant those in different parts of the United States, the atmosphere would begin to change those 
uh, changed those apples and it allowed for the adaption uh, of that. Uh, he was a man that became a myth in his own time and, and a, a, indeed an American legend. His name was John Chapman. You probably learned about him in school. He was called Johnny Appleseed. In fact, uh, he would go to uh, cider houses and there with the, the pulp that was left with the apples, he would go through and pick out the seeds out of that pulp that was left over from the making of cider. And he always carried around with him everywhere that he went, he carried around with him a, a sack of apple seeds. And he planted seeds throughout the United States. What a lot of people don't know is that John Chapman was a missionary of what they called the, the new church. He was a missionary and he also preached the gospel everywhere that he went. As he traveled, he preached the gospel and many Native Americans were converted under his preaching. In fact, they said that he had been touched by the great spirit. He also taught the children of people in the village. Uh, one lady that knew him said this, I can hear him read now just as he did that summer day when we were busy quilting upstairs and lay near, lie near the door and his voice rising denunciatory and thrilling strong and loud as the roar of a wind and waves and then soft and soothing as the balmy airs that quivered the morning glory leaves about his gray beard. He, was a, he had a strange eloquence at times and he was undoubtedly a man of genius. Johnny Appleseed was unique. He went around uh, barefooted a lot of the times. He was very nomadic. He lived off of the land. He actually, because he didn't want to harm anything, he actually didn't even eat meat. He just uh, he existed off of a, a vegan type lifestyle. He was an odd man for his day, probably an odd man today. Went barefooted most of the time. And according to legend, he even wore for his hat a, a pot on top of his head that he would use to water the water seeds. He was a unique and eccentric man, but he was not remembered because he was an oddball. There are a lot of oddballs that have lived over the 6,000 years of the history of man that you've never heard of. He wasn't remembered because he was odd. He, remember, he was remembered because he planted seed. His claim to fame is, is that he planted seed. And what's thrilling about that is there were apple trees that he planted that he never saw grow to maturity, but he was sowing into the future. There were things that he never reaped the benefit of, but he was sowing into the future. And because of that, he's remembered today. Can I say this, that in your life, you remember the people that plant seeds into your life? A couple of three months or so back when Diane Wooten had her surgery, I was in Atlanta and I was sitting there with her son Greg Harrell and Greg was talking to me and Greg said, you know, I sure do love you, Daddy. I said, yeah, he's all right, you know. And he said, well, back when I was in high school with, Bar with your brother Barry, said, I remember being at football games, me and a buddy, and when we would see your daddy walk up, we would run and go the other direction. And I said, why? He said, because we knew what we were going to get. We knew we were going to hear the gospel. We knew he was going to talk to us about our soul. And because of that, we didn't want to we'd get under conviction. We didn't want to get under conviction. We'd run the other direction. Now, why 40 years later did he make that comment? Because you remember the people that sow seeds into your life. 
Boy, there, there's a whole generation of young people at West Ward Church of God that to them it doesn't come any higher or better than Jim and Elaine Fox. You know why? Because they sowed seeds into their life. Larry Cheney, here this morning teaching Sunday school, he, uh, he's working with the finance committee right now. Larry Cheney, you know what he remembers? He remembers Almer Peterson that we buried a few months ago. He remembers him because Almer was his Sunday school teacher and Almer planted seeds in Larry's life. Teddy Lott back there sitting on the pew. It's because Almer planted seeds in his life. Over and over again, we remember the people that plant seeds. And the, the scripture that we read said that when we go forth and we bear that seed, that it's not just regular seed, it's not just ordinary seed, it's precious seed. It really means that it's priceless seed. The value of the seed is, is beyond estimation. It's precious seed, and, and seed represents hope. Again, people that plant are people that have hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. You've got no guarantee that what you plant is going to grow. Unless the life that is in the seed begins to operate, germinate, and grow, it's not going to work. Unless the conditions are right. And there's things that farmers can do. They can plow. They can re uh, weed. They can, they can uh, put out fertilizer. They can spray pesticide. But unless the sun gives its warmth and unless the rains uh, the heavens give their rain. It's not going to grow. It's always a gamble every time that you plant a field. There's always a chance of failure, but there are people of hope that sow in hope and plant in hope, and seed represents hope. This very scripture that I read to you, our text comes from Psalm 126. And in Psalm 126, Israel had been in a time where they were in bondage. They were in captivity in Babylon. And it was out of that that this psalm came to be written. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, they were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, our tongue with singing. They said, then said among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that go forth uh, and weeping, bearing precious sheaves, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. They said that during the dark times, during the times of captivity, during the times that it seemed like there was no hope, there were seeds that were planted in the stony ground of the captivity that we have. But after a while, those seeds begin to grow and the Lord turned our captivity. I want you to know no matter how barren the field may seem, no matter how bleak the season looks to you, if you'll keep on planting, if you'll keep on sowing seed, you may have to do it with eyes that are dim with tears, but if you'll keep on planting, one of these days your harvest is going and to come in. That's the promise of the word of God. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It's precious seed. There was a lady that lived many years ago and she had a son by the name of William. William McKay was a very bright young man and his mama was worried about sending him off to college. She could tell that in his life he was being drawn to the things of the world. She was a very godly woman. But she gave her son a Bible and inside the flyleaf of the Bible she wrote a scripture and she wrote her name. And William McKay went off to college and then he went to medical school. 
But he got into college, he got it running with the wrong crowd, uh, drinking, partying, that kind of stuff. And one day in a drunken stupor, he pawned his Bible for a few dollars so he could get a little bit of more something to drink. Now, this is not a story of a man that made bad. He didn't end up homeless. In fact, he was very bright and he ended up a doctor. He became the head of the hospital in his town. And he was very well respected, made a lot of money. And he, everybody looked to Dr. William McKay, but he was lost still without God. In fact, he was an atheist. He became the president of an atheist association in his town. One day there was a, an accident that happened and a young man was crushed. And a young man that was laying on his deathbed agonizing, kept begging the nurse saying, would you call my landlight lady and tell her that I'm not going to be able to pay her the rent, but would you tell her to bring my little book? And over and over again he would say, have you called my landlady? Did you tell my landlady to bring the little book? So the doctor got curious and he asked, he asked the nurse, said, did you ever get that man's book? He said, yeah, what kind of book was it? She said, well, he called it his little book, but it was his Bible. And that Bible gave that young man comfort and peace during his last agonizing moment in this life. But when it was over with, William McKay picked up that Bible that had brought that young man such peace. And as he looked over in it, he saw the fly leaf. And in the fly leaf was his mother's name written in her own hand and the scripture that she had written there. And conviction got a hold of him and he ran into his office and fell down on his knees and called on God for his Savior. He's the guy that wrote the hymn, Revive Us Again. And I want you to know that seed that mama planted that seemed to be dead for years. The Holy Spirit of God moved and caused life to come and revived him again because that's precious seed. The Word of God is precious seed. If you believe it, say amen and amen. Now there's the priority of the seed. That it has to matter. It has to be foremost in our mind. It needs to be something that we're interested in. In Matthew 13, Jesus said, A sower went forth to sow. That that's what sowers do. They plant seed. That there's a priority that should be in our life to plant seeds. Some fell by the wayside and uh, that, that uh, wayside was beaten under the foot of men. It had no chance to get to, to grow. And before it started to grow, the birds of the air would come and, and pluck it up and take it away. And, and Jesus said that's what the devil wants to do to seeds that we plant and seeds that's been planted in us. He wants to steal that away before they have a chance to grow. And some fell on stony ground, probably, probably not rocky ground that we think of. Probably that meant a ground that had a, just a little layer of topsoil, but it was over a shelf of limestone. So there was no opportunity for it to really take deep roots. It would just kind of, it would grow in the shallow earth, but then there was nothing for it to grab onto, and the sun of persecution would come out and it would wither and die. And some fell among the thorns. And when a field was plowed, you didn't always know what was under the surface. It didn't look like there was any thorns, but the roots of those thorns were still there. And as the seed began to grow, the thorns began to grow and they choked 
that that was growing and they choked its life and it became unfruitful. And then there was that that fell on good ground. Now if a farmer knows what kind of ground he's he's sowing on, he won't waste seed throwing it on stony ground. He won't waste seed throwing it on the wayside. He won't waste seed throwing it among the thorns. But since we cannot see the human heart, and we don't know, only God knows the condition of the human hearts. What we've got to do is we just got to sow seeds everywhere we go and to whoever we talk to. It might, some of it, listen, some of it's going to fall on stony hearts. Some of it's going to throw, fall by the wayside and birds are going to steal it away. Some of it's going to fall among the thorns and it's not going to, to bring any life. It's going to be choked. But if you'll keep on sowing seeds, if you'll keep on scattering the word of God everywhere you go, some of it's going to fall on good ground. Some of it's going to be received in the heart. Somebody's going to believe. Somebody's going to be saved. Somebody's going to be transformed by the power of the word of God. We don't know. What condition the heart's in. God does, so we're just in the business of sowing. Now there's some principles that we know about sowing. One of the things is we know that we reap what we sow. Whatever we sow, that if you plant beans, you're going to get beans. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn. So we're going to reap whatever we sow. Galatians 7, uh, 6, 7, and 8 be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is the problem when people make excuses for young people that are just sowing their wild oats. There are people that make excuses, well, you know, when I was young, I did things I shouldn't have done. It's all, you know, it's all right, everybody's got to sow their wild oats. It's not the sowing of the wild oats that's the problem. It's the harvest. It's the harvest. Merle Haggard said, I raised a lot of cane in my younger days and mama used to pray that my crops would fail. Whatever a man sows, if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. If a man sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap eternal life. But if he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap destruction. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. Also, you're going to reap in the same manner that you sow. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, but I say this, he that sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. If you only sow a little bit, you're only going to get a little bit of a harvest. If you sow a lot, you're going to get a big harvest. If you just ever once in a while in passing happen to mention the name of Jesus to people, you're not going to see many souls saved in your personal work. But I'm going to tell you, if everywhere you go, you're sowing seed. Some of it's falling on good ground. You're going to reap bountifully. Here's another principle. You're always going to reap more than you sow. Matthew 13 and 8. But the other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. How many of you here have ever tried, even in a uh, material, financial sense, ever tried to outgive God? You ever been able to do it? The more you sow, the more you reap. You always reap more than you sow. And I'm going to tell you, when you sow in the lives of others, you will bless others. But I'm going to tell you, the blessing that you receive back 
The sense of fulfillment as a child of God is worth much more than what the effort you expended to sow that seed is worth. And here's another thing, and this is very important. You always reap later than when you sow. That's a principle there. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't be discouraged if you've been sowing and you've not gotten in the harvest because it takes time for seed to grow. You don't go out and, and plant a field of corn and the next morning go back and expect it to grow. You don't expect it to be full grown overnight. No, you realize that I have to trust the process. I sow seed and eventually to grow. There is power in the seed. John 12, 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn or a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. There is power in the seed. A seed actually begins to decay and seems to die in the earth. And its husk that has protected it begins to fall off. But there is life going on in the seed. I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but I, I love this. I've shared it with you before, but I love this. In the, in the early 1960s, there was an excavation going on at a place called Masada. Masada is where Herod had down by the Dead Sea. In fact, I've been up a couple of times. It's a beautiful panoramic of, of the desert, a, a desert around the Dead Sea and of the Dead Sea. But it's where Herod had uh, his summer palace. And then later on, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years later, it is actually where uh, the, in the Bar Kokhba rebellion that the Jews hid out from the Romans. And it's a, it's a very important spot. In fact, every Jewish soldier is sworn in uh, at Masada. It's very important to the Jewish people even to this day. But while they were excavating it back in 63, 64, 65, they found uh, in a container there in a pot, they found seeds. In fact, they found out that those were date palm seeds and they were seeds of a species of, of, of date palms that was now extinct. It had been destroyed. And they found that and they put them in a, in a uh, like a Ziploc bag and put them in a drawer and they stayed in a drawer at the college for 40 years. And finally somebody came across and had the idea said, can we try to plant these and see if they'll grow? And they soaked them in a high-power fertilizer and they put them in the earth and that date palm began to grow and it is growing to this day. It's still alive. It's called the Methuselah tree. And a, and a, a date palm tree that had been extinct for almost 2,000 years is growing because even you can, <laughs> the power of the seed, you can leave it buried in the rubble and the ruins in a clay pot for 2,000 years. You can leave it shoved in a drawer in a plastic sack for 40 years. But when you plant that seed, the power, the life, the latent power that God's put in that seed still grows when it's planted. And I want you to know that we've got a power in the gospel 
that as long as you keep it on the shelf, as long as you keep it in the plastic bag, as long as you keep it uh, in, the, in the drawer, as long as you keep it buried in the rubble of your subconscious, it won't do any good. But if you'll take the seed and sow the seed, it'll still grow. That's the power of the seed. That's the power of the gospel. Give him a hand clap of praise. Amen. And I love this. This is the potential of the seed. The potential of the seed. Jesus said you falls on good ground, some of it's going to bring forth a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. It's going to multiply. Now the first generation, you've got one kernel of corn. And that kernel is a seed. And you plant that kernel of corn and it produces one stalk. And that one stalk produces two ears. And on every year, there's approximately 800 kernels of corn. In that first generation, that one kernel has already become 800 kernels. Now, you take those 800 corner, kernels of corn and you plant them. The second generation, now you've got two ears of corn for every stalk. So you've got 800 stalks, and each stalk brings forth 800, uh, you know, 800 stalks, 1,600 uh, ears of corn, 800 kernels per, per that's 1,600 kernels. And then all of a sudden, there you are. You've got 1,600 kernels. Now you plant it again. You plant all those 1,600 kernels. You get 1,600 stalks. You get 32,000 ears of corn. Those 32,000 ears of corn, each of them has 800 kernels. All of a sudden, you've got 2,560,000 kernels of corn. It's all coming from that one little seed, that one little kernel we planted. Do it again. Plant it again. A fourth time around, you plant all of that. You get 2.5 million stalks. And that's uh, 5,120 ears, and each one of them has 800 kernels. Now you got four children, uh, four trillion, nine hundred, uh, four trillion, ninety-six million kernels, over four trillion seeds, and it all started with one seed. That's the potential that is in the seed. It multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. Now listen, it's precious seed and you can have a handful of seed and you can decide what you're going to do with the handful of seed. You can, you can take a cob of corn and boil it and put butter on it and eat corn on the cob. And it's wonderful and it's nutritious. Or you can take, a, you can take and make seed out of that, uh, those kernels and plant it. All of a sudden you've got a whole garden full of corn. It's all what you do with it. You remember uh, when there was the famine uh, in, in uh, Israel and God sent Elisha to a little woman that had uh, just enough wheat and just enough oil to make her and her son a little loaf of bread. Then they were going to eat that and wait to die. And Elisha, uh, Elijah said, give it to me first. And then when she gave it to the man of God, the Lord prospered her. And everybody, every time she went back to the barrel of wheat, there was more wheat. Went back to the cruise of oil, there was more oil. And God su supplied her need throughout the famine. Now, I believe this. I believe everybody has a need to give. And I believe everybody has a seed to give. I believe those two things that, that the Lord's put in the heart of man. Everybody has a need and everybody has a seed to give. If that woman had eaten her seed, her and her son would have died but because she sowed her seed into the life of the man of God, God prospered that. Now even this morning, I did, the Lord may have been in this serendipitously, 
we got, we got a lot of people that are sick, recovering from surgery, whatever. It's bad weather. Let's just go ahead and face it. We ain't got a real big crowd here this morning. Right? And I, I don't know what that does to you, but it kills a preacher. I mean, it just, I, I'll mope about this for the next week and a half. But we can look around and say, boy, we ain't got a lot to eat. Or we can look around and say, you know, we, we got 100 people in this uh, sanctuary this morning. We got 100 people to sow seed. We got 100 people to go out of here. If you, you can look at things as your harvest or you can look at them as your seed. Now, how are you going to look? You may look in life and say, well, you know, God ain't blessed me like he's blessed somebody else. I don't have what other people have. I don't have the talent other people have. I don't have the knowledge that other people have. I don't have the ability. I don't have the money. I don't have the opportunities that other people have. Well, if you look at what you have and say, well, that's just, that's mine. That's what I have to survive on. You ain't never going to have any more than that. But if you look at what God's given you, say, but I'll tell you what, God's given me some seed and let other people selfishly eat what they've got, but I'm going to take the seed. Now listen, you're here this morning because you love God and you love His Word, but I'm going to tell you, if you take this Word of God that we're preaching this morning, and you go out of here and say, well, boy, that was a good meal. You've eaten your seed, but you go out of here this morning, and you say, I'm this week, I'm going to take the Word of God that I've heard, and I'm going to share it and sow it into the lives of other people. God will prosper that seed because there's potential in the seed, potential in the seed. Johnny Apple seeds, all, almost all of his apple trees were destroyed a few years back, early part of the 20th century. But there is still one tree that's 176 years old in Nova, Ohio. There's one tree that's documented to be a tree that Johnny Appleseed planted. And did you know that they are still taking grafts off of that tree and making other apple trees out of it? 176 years old, and his legacy still continues. Even though he planted hundreds of thousands of trees, and back during Prohibition, most of them were destroyed because they were being used to make hard cider. But there's one tree still left, and it's still reproducing into other trees. That's the potential of the tree. Knowles Shaw. Knowles Shaw was 13 years old when he was called to his daddy's bedside. His daddy was dying. And his daddy sat up in the bed and looked at Knowles and said, Son, prepare to meet thy God. Quoting from Amos. But Knowles did not take it to heart. No, he went from bad to worse. He was a talented young man, a fiddle player. He loved to play the fiddle at, uh, at the parties and the dances. He lived a careless, fun-filled life, not concerned at all about God, the things of God. Five years later, at 18 years old, he was at a party and he was playing his fiddle. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere in the middle of that rowdy dance scene, 
in his heart, he seemed to hear the words of his father echoing in his heart. And he dropped his violin bow and put his violin down and walked away and gave his heart to the Lord and became a preacher. It's recorded that he won about 20,000 people to Jesus in his life. But here's how you would know him through the words that he wrote. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the nude tide and the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. On his deathbed, his daddy planted a seed, didn't seem to go anywhere, but five years later, out of nowhere, boom, the seed began to grow. And it made no Noel Shaw say, that's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to plant seeds. And so he wrote, sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilling breeze. By and by the harvest when the labor's ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Going forth with weeping, sowing for the master. Though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will build us welcome, and we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. You know, those sheaves, that's just a large stack of wheat. It's another way of saying the harvest. Now listen. We're going to talk about this a little later in a week or so. God does not put in your sphere of influence the harvest. God does not hold you accountable for harvest. God has not given you the power to make seed grow. Those are the things that are reserved for God and His Spirit. His presence, His power working through the seed of His Word. But you know what He has given you? The responsibility and the privilege of sowing seed. Sowing in the morning. Sowing in the evening. Sowing at the noontide. Sometimes we're sowing while we're weeping. Sometimes the loss sustained, our heart often grieves. But one of these days when the labor's over and all of our work has ended, we'll come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Amen. Would you stand? Father, in the precious name of Jesus, Lord, we've attempted to preach your word today. Lord, let the seeds that were sown in our own heart and lives today, let them take roots, root and grow, God. Turn our attention, God. Lord, we don't have to be smart. We don't have to be funny. We don't have to be witty. We don't have to be educated. We don't have to be talented. We don't have to be able to sing or to teach or to preach. We don't have to be rich. 
Lord, all we have to do is go forth, bear precious seed. Go forth sometimes in weeping. But if we'll go, if we'll sow, we will doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing the harvest with us. Lord, imprint that in our hearts and lives today. 